run into the office. My purse is down by my desk. Grab my wallet and just bring me my wallet, please. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyways, let's confess why she does that. This is my Bible. It is always true and the final authority. My Bible is God talking to me. I read this word daily. I meditate on this word day and night. This word is rooted and grounded in my heart. This word feeds and grows my spirit. Therefore, my flesh does not control me. I walk according to the spirit. I am a child of God. I have the mind of Christ. God's thoughts are my thoughts. God's words are my words. God's actions are my actions. And I am a doer of the word. And that reason right there is why I always look at my paper. <laughs> Just in case somebody gets off, I stay right where I need to be. Glory to God. Well, let's pray and we'll get right into the word tonight. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. Oh, Father, we thank you for your heavenly presence. Father, we give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Father, as we approach your word tonight, Father, I just sense and I know that there's a teaching anointing tonight. And so, Father, as we approach your word to learn, to be taught, to be instructed by your spirit, I ask that you give every person an ear to hear and eye to see from the spirit's perspective and the good, and and good ground of the heart to receive. Father, open up the eyes of our understanding that we may come to know uh, with all wisdom and knowledge the fullness of Christ. Now, Father, we bind Satan in Jesus' mighty name. Satan, you have no right in this place. You have no, you have no ability to operate, manifest, or cause confusion to any person in Jesus' mighty name. And, Father, I thank you that as we approach this word, you'll think through my mind, speak through my lips, use my tongue as that of the pen of the ready writer to declare your wonderful works in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Well, I said last week that I wasn't 100% sure where we were going, what our destination was. It was kind of stirring, G-E-P-C, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians were kind of stirring on my heart. And, um, you know, I, you know, when it comes to memorizing the books of the Bible, you've got to use some different tactics to help you memorize them. So how I memorize, you know, the, the New Testament is, well, you've got the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you've got uh, what the church did. That's Acts. And then you've got uh, Romans and First and Second Corinthians. You know, that's not too hard to remember. And then you get into uh, G-E-P-C, which a great way to remember, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the way I like to remember that. When I first came into the body of Christ, they used to say um, general electric, you know, type stuff. You know, what was it, general electric and power company or something like that. And I'm like, well, that's just silly. I said, Lord, I don't think that way. And he said, oh, this is real simple. He said, it's got, he, you can say it one of two ways. You can say it either general education for proper Christian conduct, or you can say uh, God's education for proper conduct. Either way works. 
Um, but I was talking to the Lord about it, and I was like, okay, Lord. So last week we looked at Galatians chapter 1, and I studied into chapter 2, and I was talking to the Lord about it. And I said, Lord, before we can get in, in order for people to really understand G-E-P-C, in order for them to really understand this, really, in order for you to understand the New Testament, there's two things, two words or two concepts that you really must understand. Those two things that you must understand, the first is circumcision. And all the men just cringed. All the men just cringed on that word. Circumcision. The second word that you must know and that you must understand is crucifixion or to crucify. Crucifixion or to crucify. Now, normally when you title your sermon, you want some fun name like the goodness of God, the blessings of God, how to get victory in life, things like that, because people want those answers. But when you title your sermon, uh, Circumcision and Crucifixion, most people are going to go pass, but that's what God said. God said. So we're going to talk about uh, crucifixion, and, uh, crucifixion, and we're going to also talk about uh, primarily, really, what we're going to talk about, the big one that we're going to talk about is circumcision. Uh, that's the one that's going to take the most time. So let's talk about crucify or crucifixion first. The word crucify... This word simply means to stake down, to, to drive a stake through it, to drive down, specifically to crucify or to stake down or to drive a stake through the flesh, destroying its power utterly, utterly. Um, and, and what this word crucify draws a picture of is the, the nature of this picture, when God says crucify, what you should see, because what you need to understand is the word crucify is a New Testament word. Crucify is a New Testament word. It wasn't in the Old Testament. Uh, this word crucify um, is, is a New Testament concept. It's a New Testament thing. But the Greeks, when their, their language drew mental pictures, that's, that's, so when you read your Bible, it should draw mental pictures in your mind to help you understand our God. And so the mental picture that this word crucify means is the, it's to, it implies um, that the destruction is attended with intense pain. So when you crucify the flesh, there is a physical pain associated with it. Well, Pastor, does that mean that I need to go start sticking nails through my hands and my feet? No. People have gotten in the ditch on that. People have gotten in on the ditch, especially in the Orthodox, uh, the, the Orthodox religions. Uh, they actually will cause themselves physical punishment anytime they sin. And that's not, what, that's not what they mean when they, when they talk about us as believers crucifying the flesh. What they're talking about when we, when, when we uh, say you need to crucify the flesh, what we mean is you need to cut that thing out. 
and we understand. And how much you know when you cut any part of something out of your life? How much you know it comes with pain? It comes with pain. Why? Because because honestly, what God tells us to cut out are things that we enjoy. It's things that we love. It's things that we have that have become comfort to us. You know, uh, when somebody is when somebody has an addiction of substance, rather it's alcohol or tobacco or uh, pills or pot or food or anything like that. It's a substance that their body is addicted to. When you cut that thing out, how much do you know there's a physical ache that goes with it? There's a physical withdrawal. In fact, the physical withdrawal uh, can be so extreme that they actually have medications. They actually have, like, people, when people detox, when people withdraw from drugs and alcohol, uh, in certain situations, if they are so intently um, addicted, that they, in some cases, if they don't get actual medical help to help taper off these effects, it can actually cause them uh, a great deal of physical uh, pain uh, to the point that it can create a heart attack on the body. There's, there's actual medications for people that uh, go through detox situations. Now, not everybody needs that. And obviously, if you're detoxing off of something in your life and Jesus is helping you, you don't need that. But I'm talking about from a natural standpoint, there's a physical ailment that comes with crucifixion. There's a physical pain that comes with crucifying. And so many people go, and I've talked to people through the years, and they go, but you just don't know how long this has been my habit. You don't understand how much I need it. And I go, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. You know, um, you know we, and we all have things, and here's the deal. We all have things in our life um, that are they, they're, they're basically a part of us. You know, when I came into Christ, being sarcastic to injure was a part of who I was. So learning to not be sarcastic to injure, uh, that had to change. And every time I was sarcastic to cause somebody hurt feelings, hurt emotions, um, then the Holy Spirit would poke me and go, no, that's, you go back and you apologize. You go back and you talk about how you lost your witness. Oh, I don't want to, Lord, that's painful. You know, and I'd, go, and I'd have to go to him and say, I'm sorry for the way I talk to you. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't talk to you that way. I shouldn't degrade you. That's not how a Christian behaves. That's not walking in the love of Christ. I lost my witness. I made Jesus out to be somebody lacking love. That's not who I am. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? How much do you know when you do that, your physical body goes, there's physical pain associated with that. When God got on me about profanity, and every time I said a profanity, I had to go through the spiel every time. And here's the deal. If you're going to crucify your flesh, you can't just go, ooh, I was bad. I'm sorry. Because that's not putting your flesh down. That is not putting your flesh down. That's checking the box going, okay, Jesus, I said I was sorry. And that's not what it's called for. No, crucifying the flesh is, all, is, is by your spirit forcing your flesh to come under the subjection of Christ. So every time there was a profanity, 
Didn't matter if it was to my husband who was used to me cussing or my mom who was used to it. I mean, that was family business. It didn't matter if it was a stranger. It didn't matter if it was an employee. It didn't matter who it was. Every single time a profanity came out of my mouth, I'd have to go to him and go, <sighs> and I couldn't go all, no, listen, if you're all wimpy and teary and emotional and you're pulling, you're using your emotions to pull mercy, you're, you're pulling, using your emotions to manipulate somebody. Listen to me. If you can't, if you go to somebody to apologize for not being Christian and you're being emotional while you do it so that they'll have sympathy for you, that's manipulation, which is witchcraft. That's hot off the wire. I didn't know I was saying that tonight. Oh, Jesus. Help us. No, you have to force your flesh to stand up like a right and proper Christian. You have to go to that person and not milly mouth around it and, and, and foot around it. You, ha- you can't look down and shuffle your feet. And, no, you force your body to stand up tall and straight. You force yourself to look at them. In the eye, that's how our population works. If you're dealing with somebody that's Cherokee Indian, you don't look them in the eye because they're raised that that's disrespect. But in our in our uh, society, the way that we uh, operate, if you don't look somebody in the eye, that's disrespect. That shows that you're not actually paying attention to them. That shows that you're not really focused on them. So you have to stand up straight, you have to go to them, you have to look them in the eye, and you have to say, I'm sorry, I just cussed. I shouldn't do that. That's not how a Christian talks. I lost my witness. I made Christ a a person of profanity. That's not right. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And And most of the time what they go is they go, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. And you go, oh, okay, walk off. No. You go back and you go, because I didn't, I didn't ask them to tell me it was okay. I asked them to forgive me. So I go through the spill again. Yeah, and that's what they say. No, it's fine. Oh, we all do it. No, I'm a Christian. I am not supposed to cuss. And if you have to say it five, ten, six times, five or six or ten times before they get the clue, no, seriously, it's okay. I forgive you. Then that's what you do. You don't just say it one time. They let you off the hook and you walk away. Because that's not crucifying the flesh. Remember, crucifying the flesh means to stake it down. Which means you stay with your feet planted, staked down until you get your flesh under control. God says, uh, don't go over there to that friend. Don't don't go over to to that girl's house anymore. Because every time you go over to that girl's house, you get yourself in trouble. Then guess what? When your spirit says, I want to go to that girl's house, or ladies, that your, your body says, ooh, I want to go to that guy's house, or I want to go hang out with him, or I want to call him and get on the phone and have a private conversation with him, or whatever the situation is, it's, we're just going to the movies, we're in public, but we're sitting on the back row in the dark where nobody can see us. Don't think I don't know what happens in movie theaters in the back row. I'm not dumb. You're married. Good job. You're married. Good job. But the unmarried, they're up to something. 
They're up to something. Yeah, now I know. Go check on the movie theaters. No, I'm kidding. No, uh, I know I like the back because you get the full scene, but you see what I'm saying. But at the same time, we all know. Listen, you don't know what you, what do you do? You stake down your feet, you stake down your body, and you say, body, you will not be alone with that person of the opposite sex. Period. End of story. Dear Lord in heaven, don't even get me started. I was talking, was it both of you boys or was it just you? I was talking to the boys the other day, the fellas, the guys. They're, they're not boys. They're young men. But I was talking to them because both of them have a calling toward the youth, uh, youth ministry. And I told them, I said, listen. I said, you guys know that I love youth. If it was a youth minister for 17 years, love the teenagers, love them, love them, love them. I love, they'll keep you young. They'll do all this stuff. And I love youth ministry. How, and right now, you know, we don't have but, you know, one or two. And uh, that's okay. I'm good with that. And, uh, you know, and yes, I'm looking forward to the day that we do have a youth ministry. However, I said, however. I said, honestly, it's also the biggest, one of the biggest drudgeries in my mind. Why? Because when Michael and I did youth, we only had to worry about two. We only had to worry about keeping the boys with the boys and the girls with the girls. And even at that, our youth room was designed, they'll testify, our youth room was designed to where there were no hidden corners. None. There were no hidden corners. None. It was wide open. Like we had little station areas, but it was wide open. And uh, there were you, there were all, and we had, but it was two stories. We had a we had a second little area, game room area. And guess what? There was always an adult up there that was like eagle eye. What y'all doing? Who? You? And they weren't just and they weren't just watching physical. They were listening with their ears. They were paying attention. When things got out of hand, they called it down. But I told these guys, I said, listen, I said, it is a, it is a drudgery in my mind when, when, the youth, when the youth ministry explodes because the, if this, now it's not just keep the guys with the guys and the girls with the girls. Now you've got to keep the guys with the guys, the girls with the girls, and you've got to keep the girls away from the girls and the guys away from the guys. And even if that, that like you can't even... But even that's not safe because you might have a guy over here that's, 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 that slips over with the girls, but then by the time he leaves the girls, he's back over there hooking up with a guy. I mean, the guys are hooking up with guys and girls. The girls are hooking up with girls and guys. What, how are you going to keep all that separate? She just went, Ugh. yeah, that's exactly what happens in my mind. How are they, how are they, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? I mean, come on. Listen. How'd we get there? We got there because I said, you've got to crucify your flesh, and you've got to stake it down, and you've got to say, God said, don't even give the appearance of evil. I am not going to do anything that anybody can call into question. I am all over them about not having, quote, unquote, private conversations with people of the other sex. I even told them, I said, here's the deal. I said, this is how... This is how strict I'm being about this for your sake. If you, need, if you want to send, say Derek wants to reach out to his friend Jackie and just say, hey, just want to lift you up. But see, he's a single man. She's a single girl. You get into a mess. Get yourself into a mess. I said, just, just make the top line CC and put my name in it. Or just put CC. 
Like, like, send it to Jackie, send it, but, but put me in a group message, and then put CC at the top, and I'll know, okay, and then just start the thing off with Jackie, da-da-da-da, and then I'll know, okay, this is for no other purpose but accountability. And some of y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. God said avoid all uh, appearances of evil. God said to keep, see, in the, in the Old Testament, or in biblical times, it was the men with the men and the ladies with the ladies. And it kept things accountable. Pastor Mike and I, very rarely, and even, even then, we are very uncomfortable with it and we try to remedy it as quickly as possible. Very rarely are we ever alone with somebody in the church. Either I'm present doing count, either there. Uh, it's either Pastor Mike and I or Miss Ann and I or another church member and I or another church member and Pastor Mike because we're keeping everything on the up and up today. Because if somebody can get offended at the drop of a hat and they can make a situation out to be something that it's not. And you have to protect yourself. Even Jesus said this. Billy Graham, the greatest evangel- one of the greatest evangelists of our time, Billy Graham, who's from right here in North Carolina, he would not even get on an elevator, just him and another woman. If he was on an elevator and the floor stopped and a woman got on, he'd get off. Why? Accountability. What was he doing? He was crucifying his flesh. He was staking down his flesh. That's what I was talking about. Staking down your flesh to prevent any opportunity. Staking down the flesh. Staking it down. That's what crucify means. How much you know Jesus was crucified. He was staked to the cross to bring an end to the power of the flesh. Your physical body has a power to do what it wants to do. But if your, but your spirit has a power, if you'll grow it, if you'll establish it, your spirit has a greater power and can force your flesh to obey. But it's your choice. It's your choice. And uh, Paul's epistles talk a lot about crucifying the flesh, crucifying the members of this mortal body, crucifying it, staking it down, not letting it get its own way. Not letting it get its own, not allowing it to have its own way. So, uh, but primarily, so that's crucifixion. We'll see it more as we go through the epistles. That's the primary definition. It's not hard to understand. Uh, but if you don't have an understanding of crucifixion, you're not going to understand what Paul is talking about. The bigger word that most people have a problem with understanding is circumcision. So, I want to go to Genesis chapter 12. Well, I thought we were talking about the epistles. We are. But I want to show you about crucifixion, or about circumcision. So I want you to go to Genesis chapter 12. And if you've never read the book of Genesis, I highly recommend you read the book of Genesis. And, you know, don't worry about so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. Because when I first read Genesis the first time, I wanted to do like a family tree on my wall, and it didn't take me long to figure out that I didn't have enough wall. <laughs> it did not take me long at all. 
that all comes into play later on. The first time you read Genesis, you just need to get a good synopsis of what happens. All right. So we know, and for sake of time, I'm not going to go there, but we know in Genesis chapter 1 that, Adam, that God created Adam and Eve and he made a covenant with them. Now, let's talk uh, covenant for just a minute. If you have your I want everybody to pull out their wallet. That's normally where you keep them, your wallet, your phone, whatever. Reach into your wallet and pull out this little thing on here that says driver's license, if you have one, if you have one. I'm going to find out who keeps their covenant paperwork handy with them and find out. Where's your, where's your, where's your driver's license? You. In your car, in your car? Okay. I keep it where I drive. Okay. But what happens? What happens? So, so I asked, where's your driver's license? A couple of them said, well, it's in my car. Well, what happens if you're at work, you don't have your, and your car breaks down or you don't have your car, and somebody says, hey, um, can you take my car and go somewhere? But I'm just saying, you just said, and I understand, but, but I understand. I understand. I'm not fussing at you. I get it. But see this little thing right here? Do you know what this is? This tells you that you are in covenant with the state that your driver's license is out of. This is a covenant document. This is a covenant document. This document shows that you have a contract with, we're in North Carolina, some, I think everybody in here is North Carolina, I think. Uh, some people might have Georgia or other areas because, you know, we've got a lot of uh, part-time people. But whatever state your license is from is the state that you're in covenant with. Now, covenant is a contract. That's why when you get your driver's license, they have you sign. In fact, on my driver's license, right under my picture, is a little picture of my signature. That's a picture of my signature. And they can, if they had to compare signatures, they could blow it up and have me sign or, or have somebody sign and say, yeah, that's her signature. No, that's not. Because it's like your signature is like a fingerprint. It's, it's, it's part of who you are. Your picture is part of your fingerprint. It's who you are. It's got all your pertinent information on it, your address and your height and your age and hair color and all of that on there, Right? So it's got all your pertinent basic information, and this thing right here is what allows you to get behind the wheel of a vehicle and drive on public roads. Now, some people say, well, mine's in my car or whatever, but if you get in a different car and you don't have your driver's license on you, do you know that you're technically breaking the law? Nope, 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 nope. She just said it. She said, no, because they can look it up. No, part of your contract is you must have your driver's license with you when you are behind the wheel. That is actual legal on the books. And just because they give you the courtesy of looking it up does not mean that you did not just break the law. That's right. That's right. She just said she's been in a car where they asked for the passenger's ID. 
That's exactly right. I've been in the car where they've asked for everybody's ID because everybody was overage. Yeah, have been. Have been. Have been. So just because you think, just because you assume that you don't have to have your mark of covenant doesn't mean that you're right. It actually means that you broke the law. Broke the law. So what is this, this, this little piece of plastic? What it says is I'm in agreement with the issuing state, and I agree. Check this out. It says I agree to follow the laws of the road, which means I agree to have my driver's license on me at all times. I agree to wear my seatbelt at all times. I agree to go the speed limit at all times. I agree to stop at a stop sign and not do a rolling stop. I agree to not run red lights. I agree to stay in my lane. I agree to do all of these things. That's when, when you sign, right? I, I agree to keep a proper following distance. I agree to keep my, ro- my vehicle in proper operating condition. These are all contracts. Now, as long as we follow our contract obligation, it goes good with us. We don't get those lovely blue lights of doom, right? However, now what's the state's obligation? The state's obligation is that they will keep up the road conditions as much as humanly possible. Because let's face it, there's a lot of road out there. And it takes a lot of money. Now, Now, let me ask you this. Does the state always keep their side of the contract? No. Do you always keep your side of the contract? Also, no. But this is a perfect example of covenant. See, with God, you have a contract. You have a contract with God just like you get a contract with the state for your driver's license. Only your contract with God is based on a better promise. It's on a better promise. It's on a better set of of circumstances. So God set a contract or a covenant with Adam and Eve. And that contract said, he said, you have dominion. You subdue the garden. You keep control of it. You exercise your authority. You rule and reign, and I'll provide you everything you need. Man, that's a good contract. But how much do you know Adam and Eve broke the contract? Adam and Eve broke the contract when they failed to subdue and exercise their authority over the serpent, which was Satan. And because they failed, guess what? What they owned now went to Satan. Think of it like this with the banks and the mortgages. You buy a house. You get a mortgage through the bank. You're the one paying for the house. But you signed a contract that said, I will purchase the land, and I will pay so much a month, for 15 to 30 years, whatever you agreed to, 
the bank would buy the property up front, and then you would pay the bank back not only what you bought the house for, but also for their interest. And you pay on that house for 20 years. Let's say you have a 30-year mortgage. You pay on that house for 25 years, and some tragedy hits, and you are no longer, and now you've missed one, two, three, four, maybe five payments, and now the bank says you're in breach of contract, and they come and they take what? The house, right? Well, guess what? Adam and Eve breached contract, and Satan took the world. That's what happened. So, God instituted uh, the blood sacrifice. Go back and read it. He did the first, he, he sacrificed the first living creature to cover Adam and Eve's sin. Go look at it in uh, Genesis chapter 2, the 3. Uh, go look at it. So then, so God was trying to work some things out, but people were still in just sin, 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 and they couldn't get it right, and the only man left on the planet that was righteous was Noah, and he had Noah build an ark, and he tried it again. And guess what? This time, man got so high and mighty that they said, there ain't nothing we can't do. They said, in fact, we're so good, we're so capable, because God created us that there was nothing impossible for us to do. He created us in his image. He made us like gods of this world. Not like little G gods, but like gods in his image, rulers to have dominion like him. And they said, man, there ain't nothing we can't do. So they began to build a tower, not only to reach into heaven, but to go beyond heaven to set up a throne above gods. Who's that sound like? Satan. So God and Jesus came down to watch man. And guess what? He, he said, man, this is a problem. So here, he, uh, he uh, scatters the people and confuses their language to humble them, to hopefully get them to understand, uh, you are in need of a Savior. You are in need of a Savior. And the world still didn't get it. The world still didn't get it. So here comes... Uh, and so now the world is serving all these little G-gods. And here comes a man by the name of Abram. And Abram comes out of a pagan family, out of a family who's serving these little G-worldly gods, Satan's gods. And here comes Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, God does something amazing. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country. In other words, get away from, from your homeland. And, for, and he says, And from thy kindred. He said, Now, no, don't only get away from where you grew up, but get away from your family. And from thy father's house, leave home. Onto the land that I will show thee. Who's given him the land? The Lord is. And he goes on, and he explains to Abram, God explains to Abram exactly what he means. He said, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee. 
And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is God starting to make the covenant with Abram. These are the basic principles of the promises of God. Every person that comes into Christ is allowed these same, has these same exact promises. Number one, God is going to make you a great nation. Now, does that mean that you're going to have a country all to yourself? Blah, blah, blah. No, but it means that what you, the area that you rule over is going to be great. Whatever you have, your businesses, your, whatever you have, your family, they're going to be great. And when God says great and when we say great, those are two very different things. His great far exceeds our great. And he says, and I'm going to bless you. And then he says, which means he's going to bless us. And he's going to make thy name great. I talked about, you know, yeah, God's going to make your name great in your communities, things like that. But more importantly, he's going to make your name great in the spirit realm. Woo, that's a promise. I'll take that. Thank you, Jesus. And thou shall be a blessing. That word blessing means enabled to gain, enabled to gather, enabled to get, empowered. It means to give you power to get or power to gain. How much you know that's something to hold? I have power to gain prosperity. I have power to gain health and healing. I have power and authority over the enemy. How much you know Jesus gave us all his power. He blessed us. There's nothing, there's nothing in this world that we can't push through because God blesses us. This is our promises. Um, and then he goes on, he says, I will bless them that bless thee. Woo! I'm telling you what, you find you a Christian walking with God, you better bless them. Listen to me. You find a Christian that's walking with God, you better make it your priority to bless them. Because then that's going to bring the blessings upon you. But more importantly, and this is why I say this, look at what he says. I will bless them that bless you, but, but he is going to curse him that curses you. You don't want to be on the bad side of a Christian. God does not take it kindly when you mistreat his children. God does not take it kindly when you disrespect them. He does not take it kindly when you take advantage of them. He does not take it kindly when you come against them. He does not take it kindly when you uh, don't give them honor and respect we have lost reverence and respect there used to be a day i remember these days there used to be a day that uh people feared the christian because they knew if you messed with a true christian the curse of God. They didn't understand how the curse worked, but they understood you messed with the child of God and things in your life start to go horribly wrong. Listen, you don't want to come against the child of God. And you definitely don't want to come against his servants. You definitely don't want to do that. And in these shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Anybody that gets around you is going to be blessed. That's part of the promise. That is part of the promise. That's part of the promise. People around you will be blessed simply because you serve God. I mean, that's awesome. Now, for the sake of time, we're going to jump over to chapter 13. And uh, because in the rest of chapter 12 is when Abram begins to be obedient to God. And he begins and he packs up and he leaves. And he goes into Egypt. Check this out. 
Abram comes out of the land of Canaan and goes into Egypt through this chapter. But look at chapter 13, verse 1. And it says, and when Abram went up out of where? Egypt. Where did Moses take the children of Israel out of? Egypt. Abraham did the same thing that Israel's children did uh, prior. Everything that God did in the Old Testament, he does in the New Testament. Everything that God did in the Old Testament is repeated. It's a pattern. God follows patterns. So Abram comes out of Canaan. He goes into Egypt. He's there for quite some time. Then he comes out of Egypt. And look at how he comes out of Egypt. This is amazing. And it says, and Abram went out of Egypt. Now, mind you, also while he's there in Egypt, uh, Pharaoh tries to take Sarah as his wife. You just got to go back and read it. Uh, how much do you know uh, when, it, when the nation of Israel was in Egypt, the Pharaoh took Israel captive? Types and shadows. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, who came out? He and Sarah. And all that he had, everything came out with him. Lot came out with him into the south. Lot was traveling with him at this time. And Abram was what? Very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, how did they come out? Very rich. Remember, remember when the, uh, remember when the last plague, the firstborns were, were, uh, when they had died? Remember, uh, they went, God said, uh, Jews, go get, go to your people and ask them to borrow gold, silver, and fine linens. And they said, because, they, because remember, every firstborn in, in, in Egypt died. Even, even the firstborn to the prisoners in prison died. And so when the, when the Israelites went to their, to their masters and said, hey, uh, Pharaoh's told us to get out. Can you loan us some gold? Can you loan us some silver? Can you loan us some, uh, some fine linen? Uh, the Egyptians said, here, take it all. I mean, they, I mean, they stripped Egypt. They stripped Egypt. Isn't this amazing? What are we talking about? We're talking about covenant. Part of God's covenant is actual physical finances. Pro, actual physical prosperity. That's part of covenant. So in, so in 13, he talks about this. And then he begins to talk about how Abram begins to travel through the wilderness into the promised land. Into, into what we now know is the promised land. Into the Jordan and into those areas. So again, we're starting, we, we get to see this whole journey. And during this whole time... This is amazing. In chapter 13, chapter 14, Abraham is following the Lord's directions. He's doing what the Lord tells him to do, and the Lord is following through with doing what he said he was do. He was prospering him. What is he doing? What are they doing? They are establishing a connection with each other. Abraham, or Abram is how he's known at this point, is proving to God that he's faithful. And God is proving to Abraham or Abram 
that God is faithful to keep his promises. So they're building a relationship. This is a type and shadow of the new believer. Type and shadow of the new believer. Somebody comes into, into relationship with God under uh, choosing Jesus Christ as their Lord, and they begin to be doers of the word, and God just begins to pour blessing upon blessing upon blessing on them. It's type and shadow. Type and shadow. And so they're building this relationship. Now, honestly, you need to take the same example when it comes to building relationships in your life. So often, somebody new will come into your life, and you go, hey, I'm Robbie, how are you? You go, hey, I'm Brianna. And the next thing you know, they're like best buds, they're going everywhere, da, 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 da. And I mean, they're like in contract with each other, and they don't know nothing about each other. Don't do that. Do not do that. Even God and Abram didn't do that. Abram said, because God would say, uh, Abram, go do this, and Abram would go, are you sure? Are you sure? He said, yeah, go do this. So he'd go do it, and he'd go, okay, God, I did it. And then God would go, okay, good, blessing. You've got to take time to build relationship. Well, I thought we were talking about circumcision. We are. I'm all, but but you've got to understand covenant first. You've got to understand what you have in the covenant. Chapter 15. So this all happens through 14 and 15. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. And it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came upon Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy... Look at what he says. I am thy shield, which means protector, and thy reward. I'm your reward. I'm going to pay you a little. I'm going to pay you just enough to get by. I'm going to give you a plaque on the wall. I'm going to give you a gold retirement watch. No. He said, I am your exceedingly, excessively, abundantly great. I mean, exceedingly was enough. But he said, exceedingly great reward. In other words, you follow me, man. (laughs) I'm going to carry you through, and you are going to just. I mean, you're, and at this point, at this point, Abraham is, Abram is already wealthy and rich. In other words, God said, Abram, I've followed, I've, I've done everything that I have said that I would do. And Abram said, you have, Lord. But look at what happens. And Abram said, Lord God, verse 2, Lord God, what will thou give me seeing I go childless? And uh, <laughs> I totally forgot in chapter 14, this is where Sarah... In chapter 14, this is where, remember, God promised that they'd have kids. In chapter 14 is when Sarah says, well, God's not fulfilling his promise, so I'll fulfill it for him. Here, uh, Abram, my husband, lay with my house, with my, with, uh, my house lady and uh, have a baby. Get with Hagar. Who in the world thought, oh, Hagar, you're beautiful. I don't know. But in either case, get with Hagar and Hagar versus Ishmael. Listen, how much do you know? Because so many people do this. So many people say, well, I messed up what God said, therefore I no longer qualify. What if Abraham and Sarah had said, Lord, we totally messed up your plan. You can't use us now. There ain't no hope for us. Did they do that? They probably felt like it. But how much God said, no, I'm going to still use you. I'm going to still take care of you. He gets over here into chapter he gets over here into chapter 15 and he goes, "Okay, yeah, you messed up." Some time goes by. He goes, "Yeah, you messed up, but here's the deal, Abram. 
verse 2. He said, Abram uh, said, Lord, uh, and Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me, give me, seeing I go childless? Now, wait a minute. He just had Ishmael. But Ishmael was not technically his because Ishmael did not come from his wife. So many people go, oh, the Old Testament, they had concubines and they slept with their handmaidens and all this. And it was part of God's plan. Apparently not because God did not acknowledge Ishmael. God did not, God did not acknowledge Ishmael as his son. Even from the beginning, God was not okay with that behavior. He allowed it to be used, but he was not okay with it. Men can do their own things. And Abraham, he said, see how I go childless, and the steward of my house is Elzar of Damascus. Check that out. Where did Paul meet Jesus? Damascus. On the road to Damascus. Who was, who was, who, who did, Abram, Abram said, this guy from Damascus is going to be my heir. Oh, come on. This guy from Damascus, how much do you know? Paul, on the road to Damascus, became one of Jesus' heirs, just like we did. On this, uh, he said, uh, Elzazar of Damascus, and Abram said, Behold, to me uh, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. He said, he said well, I also have this kid Ishmael. I guess that one could be it. <laughs> Basically, he's whining and he's crying to God. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. And he shall come, he said, But he shall come forth out of thy own bowels, shall thine heir, shall thine be, shall be thine heir. In other words, he said, No, no, no. He said, My plan is still coming to pass. My plan is still coming to pass. And he brought him forth abroad. Um, so he, he continued to travel with Abram and said, Look now toward heaven. And tell the stars if there be if they be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. In other words, God took Abram out here on a mountaintop in the dark of night and said, Can you count the number of stars? And Abram said, No, Lord. And he said, Well, just as many as there are stars, you're going to have that many descendants. Glory to God. I'm an heir. Uh, I am one of those descendants by the blood of Jesus Christ. Glory to God. And, uh, and he believed, and he, being Abram, believed in the Lord and counted it to him for righteousness. In other words, Jesus, Abram did not say, well, Lord, do you mean it? Well, Lord, what if I mess up? Well, Lord, what if I make a mistake? Well, Lord, what if, what if, what if I miss it? Well, Lord, what if this, what if that? He just said, Lord, you've proven yourself righteous every time before now. I have no reason to doubt you. He said, I have no reason to doubt you. Why? Because it's been chapters of journeying, and God's been faithful the whole time. Hasn't God been faithful to you? Yes, he has. He's been faithful to you even when you've not been faithful to him. Think about it. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees. In other words, out of the camp of your idiot. He, he basically he said, I'm the one that brought you out of pagan worship. That's what he said. Uh, to give thee this land to inherit it. How much you know? We've all come out of wrongful worship. 
a lot of us have, not all of us, but a lot of us have. Um, because Abram came out of a pagan family. He came out of a family that served the false gods. He said, and I departed you from there. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Now, for the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize what happens from this point, but you can read it. And what happens at this point, we'll just read this one point thing, this one thing here. He said, uh, how shall, he said, how shall I inherit it? Like, how am I going to know? And he said unto him, this is God speaking to Abram. He said, take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. In other words, God said, get me some animals to sacrifice. Because in their day, when you entered into a contract, when you entered into covenant, it wasn't about signature on a page. In their day, in order for a contract, a covenant to take place, there had to be the spilling of blood. Why did, they have to, why did there have to be the spilling of blood? Well, if you go back in the book of Genesis and look at when Noah got off the ark, God said that life is in the blood life is in the blood and so when you enter into a contract with god it's for life it's for life it's for life and so god told abram he said go get the animals for the covenant contract and so abram went and got these animals and and when they were cutting covenant they had two tables that were on a slight slant one over here, one over here. They put the left side of the animal on the left table, the right side of the animal on the right table. They slid them in half, and the blood would pull down into the middle on the ground, and there would be this pathway that made a figure eight. And each person, once the blood of the animals was spilled, each person would take a physical cut to their hand, a physical mark to their hand, and they would cut it, and they mingle it with the blood of the animals, the blood of the animal, the blood of the covenant, and they would walk that figure eight path as their blood dripped in the blood of these animals, and their feet would even because they'd walk this path barefoot. Why? Because they were basically saying, "I'm one with you," but they'd have this cut, this mark on their hand that showed covenant and so when they approached each other from a distance they could show hands and as you approached, you'd see the cut and you knew that this was somebody you had covenant with that you were in contract with them but something amazing happens through here god in his infinite wisdom knew and understood the weakness of man the weakness of our physical body he knew that abraham's heart or abram's heart was that he would always do what god said but because of the physical flesh of the body, he knew he would fail. So just like Adam in the garden, he called a de- he called right at the time that it was, and God, because God is the one initiating, remember God was the one that initiated the covenant. So God was the first one that had to walk the path. So when it's time, so God walks the path between these animals and Abram's there fellowshipping with God. And then God causes a deep sleep to come on Abraham, on Abram at this time. Causes a deep sleep to come upon him. 
And, uh, and, and Abram, if you go back in there and you read, you'll see that Abram is pushing away the darkness, which is a representation of Satan. I don't want to get into all of that for tonight. But when you get to the end, so he causes this deep sleep to come on Abram. And look at verse 17. And it says, And it came to pass that when the sun was down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. So at sunset, Jesus came down. God's knocked Abram out with a deep spiritual sleep. He's knocked him out. He's unaware. And Jesus, who later becomes the son of the living God, Jesus, who becomes God in the flesh, God incarnate, comes down and he walks between those covenant animals and, with a, and he makes a cut on his hands. It says over in the book of um, Isaiah, let's go look at this real quick. I believe it's Isaiah 42. I wasn't planning on pulling this scripture, but let's go look at it real quick. Is it Isaiah 42? No, it's Isaiah 49, verse 19, verse 16. Sorry, my highlighter messed with me. Look at this. Isaiah 49:16. Isaiah 49:16 says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hand. Here, the Israelites were complaining that God had forgotten them. And here, God shows up and God says, Behold, I have a cut, not a tattoo, as some translations say. He says, I have a cut there upon the palms of my hands. And the walls are, and, and thy walls are continually before me. Jesus had a physical cut on his body that he was able to put in the face of the Israelites in the Old Testament and say, look, I have the cut of the covenant on my hand. I cannot forget you. Every time I look at my hand, I am in remembrance of you. No, okay, but, but what's, but, okay, so pastor, I get it. There's supposed to be a physical cut, and, and Jesus took the physical cut for mankind. So at this point in time, there's no physical mark on humanity to show that they're in covenant with God. I'm going to show you something amazing. So he does this, and he walks this path, and Jesus seals this covenant. Now go to, now go to chapter 17. Go to chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Talking about the importance of, of uh, circumcision. The importance of circumcision. Chapter 17, verse 1. And Abram was 99, or was 90 years old and 9. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Remember, Almighty means El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai, the God of more than enough, of all sufficiency. Look at what he said. He said, walk before me and be thou perfect or be thou mature, be thou grown up. Walk right before me. Part of our obligation of contract, part of our covenant contract, is we are supposed to walk before God sin 
free because Jesus made the way for us to be sin free. That's, part, that's our part of this contract. He said, I'm a God of more than enough. That's his covenant contract. His covenant contract is I'm going to give you more than you ever need. Ever, more than you could ever even think about. I'm going to give it to you. He said, I will make my covenant. He, look at this. He said, I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. He'll do what? Part of the promise of God is he's going to multiply you exceedingly in every area of life. And these all, and these, and there's people that say, oh, you New Testament, blab it and grab it and the prosperity people. Listen, prosperity was promised before the law was ever given. It was promised way back here with Abraham. He said, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. God, so God said, as far as my part, I've already got covenant with you. I've already done my part. And thou shalt be the father of many nations. Neither, neither shall thy name any more be called Abram. But thou, shalt be, uh, but thou name shall be Abraham. Part of, his, part of the covenant is Abram went from Abram to father Abraham. That's part of covenant. For the fa- for a father of many nations have I made thee. Look at this. He's not even had he's not even had um, Isaac yet, and he's already said you're the father. He said I've already made you the father. How much you know? Anything you need from God, He's already given it to you before it manifests. He's already given it to you. And I will make thee. Check this out. He said I will make thee what exceeding fruitful. He's not just talking about the ability to have babies. He's talking about everything you lay your hand to must prosper. It's part of the covenant contract. And I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Listen, rulers are going to come out of you. If you raise your children in the, in the goodness and the ammunition of the Lord, uh, he's going to make your children rulers. Uh, how much you know when you come into Christ, you become kings and queens? Come on, and I'm not talking about the guys being queens and the girls and the girl and the and the daughters being kings. I'm talking about keeping it right. It's a shame that we have to qualify that these days. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and who else? And thy seed after thee in their what? Generations for a what? An everlasting covenant. The covenant, the contract of Abraham does not end never ends it's always in place check this out and i will give unto thee and to thy seed the land wherein thou art strangers all the land of canaan uh, for the everlasting possession i will be their god god has given us cherokee county God has given us Clay County. God has given us the Tri-County and Tri-State area. It's up to us to walk in our covenant promise and take it for the kingdom. Not by force, but by faith. By faith. What is the land? What land did he give us? What's the land of Canaan? The Old Testament land of Canaan, the Old Testament land of promise is the heaven. How much you know? Jesus said, 
for heaven is at hand. We get to walk on he- in heaven here now. But we've got to understand covenant. And we have to understand circumcision. Don't worry, I'm getting to er- circumcision. Clock, you just need to slow down. He said, he said, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their what? God. If you want to keep the covenant, you have to make God your God. You have to make God your God. You need to write that down. You have to make God your God to be in the covenant. And God said to Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Uh Uh-oh. Every man-child among you shall be what? Circumcised. I'm going to try to keep this as G-rated as possible. Let me explain circumcision to you. When a male child is born... There is a, what, what is referred to, it, it, we'll just put it this way so everybody can understand it. There's, there's a flap of skin that goes over the tip of the male's precious area. We're just going to say it that way. This flap of skin is not like the cartilage, is not like this flap of skin on your ear that doesn't feel a whole lot. This particular flap of skin has an immense amount of nerve endings in it. This flap of skin is extremely sensitive. Extremely sensitive. This flap of skin was designed to protect the end of the male area. It's what it was designed for. Because... In their day, they didn't have clothing and attire like we do. In fact, in their day, most of them wore robes or some type of cloak that barely came to the mid-calf, I mean mid-thigh, and they did not have on undergarments. If they were, if they were elevated above you in any way, you, or if they were just sitting, uh, you could easily see if this flap of skin is there or not. It was very visible. It was just the way things were at their time in, their, in, in the world. That's the way things were. But this flap of skin is very, very, very intimate. This flap of skin is very, very, very uh, sensitive. This flap of skin is um, so sensitive that now, if somebody chooses to be, most, most, most uh, male children are circumcised uh, right after birth or within a day or so of birth, and they actually use um, numbing medication so the child doesn't feel it and things like that. However, how old was Abraham in, in, in the beginning of this chapter? He was 99 years old. This was the most intimate part of his body. This was the most sensitive, physically sensitive part of his body. This was the most, um, mm, 
excitable area of the body. This was this area of the body was the most uh, intense when it came to physical touch. And he was 99. And look at what God said. He said, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. I always feel bad preaching on, on circumcision because I can always look at the guys' faces and they're all going, oh, please stop talking about this. And the ladies are like, what? I kind of feel, I, so I kind of feel bad for the guys. I really do. Ladies, let me give you an idea of what this is like. Let me give you an idea. There's an area, just like this is an area on the man's body, there's an area on the woman's body that's just as sensitive. You may know, but not everybody knows. There's an area that's just as sensitive. So can you imagine having that area cut, especially when you've had it for 99 years? Come on. Oh, now the ladies are cringing too. Come on. He said, you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. That's what it's known as. That particular flap of skin is known as a foreskin. God said, Abraham, you're going to circumcise yourself. <laughs> there was a great ow in the, amongst the men. 99 years old, and Abraham, you're circumcising yourself. And it shall be, look at this, and it shall be a token or a sign or a physical mark of the covenant between me and you. Do you think Abraham wanted to do this? But in order to uh, be obedient to God, did he have a choice? I mean, he could have denied it, but then he would have also denied the blessings. Now, let's keep reading, because you're going to see something that's going to really make you go, ow. And uh, he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child in your generations. Every man-child in your generations. That means lots. That means, that means Abraham, that means all the servants, that means every male that belongs to the house of Abraham. Not just the children. Any, anybody that was older than eight days. Eight days, you're getting circumcised. Nine days, you're getting circumcised. Eight years, you're getting circumcised. Nine years, you're getting circumcised. Nineteen, you're getting circumcised. Twenty-something, you're getting circumcised. It didn't matter. If you were over the age of eight days old and you were a male and you were part of Abraham's household, you were getting circumcised. Here's why. He said, he that is born in the house and or, check it out, or check it out, or bought with money. He that is in your house or he that is bought, bought, bought. How much do you know were bought with the blood of Christ? We weren't bought with money, but we were bought with the blood of Christ. So, even in the Old Testament, there was a way for people to come into covenant. They had to, they had to come in 
to a Jewish home. They had to submit themselves to that Jewish home. They had to submit to the practices of Abraham's home. He said, um, and everyone bought with money must needs be circumcised. Every person that comes under Abraham must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. So in order to enter in to the covenant, Jesus had two marks on his hands. In order for the in order for Abraham's family to come into the covenant, every male under the, over the age of 8 days old had to be circumcised. Rather they were in his household by birth or they were in his ho- household by purchase, they have to be circumcised. They have to be. Let's read a little bit more. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, the soul, remember the soul can be thoughts, feelings, emotions, or it could be spirit, depending on the context. The soul shall be cut off from his people. If you do not crucify your flesh, and I'm not talking physical crucifixion at this point, But in Old Testament, I was. In the Old Testament, if you were not crucified, you did not enter into the covenant. You did not enter in. If there's no crucifixion, you write this down. If there's no, I mean, not crucifixion. If there's no circumcision, there's no covenant. If there's no circumcision, there's no covenant. Okay? Okay. All right. So you go down here and you find out they make covenant that he does this. Now, I want you to look at there's a lot of different things that happen in this. I want you to look at Genesis chapter uh, 24 real quick. Is it 24? Twenty-six. I'm sorry, Genesis twenty-six. In verse uh, chapter Genesis chapter twenty-six, verse twenty-four, and it says, "And the Lord appeared unto him uh, the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, I am with thee, and I will bless thee and multiply thee." For my servant Abraham's sake. So in Genesis, so in, in, we just read that Abraham enters in to covenant and he starts circumcising everybody and keeps them in fellowship. And now Abraham has gone on and uh, Isaac is now born and he, God appears to Isaac. That's who he's talking to. And God reaffirms the covenant. Um, Because he said, uh, he said, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, I am with thee. This is covenant language. And he reaffirms that the covenant has passed from Abraham to Isaac. Now, jump over to chapter 28. Jump over to chapter 28. 
verse 4. Jacob is getting ready to pass over. Jacob's life is coming to an end. And, um, I mean, Isaac's life is getting ready to come an end. And he calls for his son, Jacob. And he lays his hand on Jacob, and he blesses Jacob. And it says in verse 4, And give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, and thou mayest in, um, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. So the covenant has now passed from Abraham to Isaac, and from Isaac to Jacob. So we see that the covenant is passing, okay? So because just like God promised, it's going to pass from person to person. It's going to pass. And uh, jump over to uh, verse 12 of chapter 28. Verse 12 of chapter 28. And here, Jacob, after he has hands laid on him and, and is given the blessing, it says, and he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up to the earth, on top of it reached to heaven. Now, the top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, to thy, to, uh, uh, give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and I will keep thee in all places where thou goest. He said, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken of, spoken to thee of. So here God again reiterates the covenant. And this is what Jacob says in verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way or in, in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. So that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I set for a pillar shall be God's house. And for all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give on to thee. So we see that God is sticking to his promise. He's passing the promise on. And we see, if you go through here, you'll see that they continue to keep up the behavior of circumcision. Um, so much so that in chapter 34, Jacob's sons uh, use circumcision as a weapon. Let's not do that. Um, I'm not going to go there for sake of time. But he does, and it's not a good thing. <laughs> um, because this, these people wanted to join them, and they said, okay, if you want to join us, you've got to be circumcised. And then, while the guys were, had, while they all circumcised, uh, therefore they were not moving too well, because that's a very intimate area of the body, uh, Jacob's, three or four of Jacob's sons came in and slaughtered them all because they had taken advantage of their sister. And, uh, and uh, Jacob said, y'all have disgraced our God and disgraced me and different things like that. 
Um, so we don't want to use circumcision as a weapon. But I want to show you how important circumcision is in the, la in the last few minutes that we have. Go to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4 here is talking about Moses. Moses meets with God, and, Mo and God tells Moses to go out, uh, go back into Egypt, and begin to deal with Pharaoh and what have you. And he gives him all of these instructions. Now, what you have to understand about Moses is Moses uh, was circumcised in Egypt while he was a baby because, remember, he stayed with his mom until he was at the point that they couldn't hide him anymore. So, because, so she would have, his family would have circumcised him at the eight days of age. So he did that. But then he was raised in the house of the Egyptians, and they all served the false gods. Then at the age of 40, he ends up killing an Egyptian because he's beating a Jew and ends up going into the desert on the backside of the desert and hiding out there. And he marries a woman by the name of Zephorah. And uh, Zephorah's dad is, um, he's actually the priest uh, of pagan worship. He's one of the, he's one of the pagan worship priests, but yet Moses, uh, marries her and uh, so he is so though he is jew he's married to a pagan woman uh he's presumed to be egyptian because that's how he was raised and then god calls him out and god's and he has a stutter uh he's not eloquent in his speaking at all and god says you're going to be my voice piece go and uh, there's a whole lot we can teach you in there uh, but he says go. So he finally, get, he finally gets an agreement with God in chapter 4, verse 19. We're going to pick up right here. And it says, The Lord said unto Moses in Midran, uh, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. And Moses took his wife and his sons, and set them upon an ass. I'm not cussing, it's a donkey. And he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Remember, this was the rod that turned to a snake, and God as a sign and a wonder. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those uh, wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, and I will harden his heart, and he shall not let the people go. He, God wasn't hardening Haro's heart. He, God just said, Haro, Hera, um, Pharaoh is going to become hard-hearted because of the works that I'm going to do. was really what he was saying. But check this out. Oh, my goodness. Verse 22. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, uh, Thou sayest the Lord Israel is my son and my firstborn. So God, is tell, God told Moses, Go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, these people that you're holding bondage are my firstborn. Are my firstborn. And, uh, and, and then he goes on and he says, and I say unto thee, let my son go. Talking about the nation. Uh, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son Thy son, thy firstborn. 
So Moses warned Pharaoh. God told Moses to warn Pharaoh. You let my firstborn, my chosen, my... Why were they the firstborn? Because these were the children of covenant. These were the ones that were firstborn, first birthed out of the covenant. They were the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, release my people. Now, Pharaoh is a type and shadow of Satan. He said, said, release them. But he's talking to a man, and he said, if you don't let my natural children go... Uh, your firstborn are going to die. And it came to pass, by the way, in the end, that the Lord met him, talking about met Moses, and sought to kill him. Now that sounds, now wait a minute, Lord, that just sounds brutal. No, he didn't actually, he wasn't actually looking to kill him. Remember we read that anyone that is not circumcised is not in the covenant. Remember we read that? And that if they're not circumcised, that they must be cut off. God is a God of law, and God follows the law. And Moses is traveling with his sons who are not circumcised, which means that the sons are out of the covenant because their father won't do his part. And God cannot allow, listen to me, God cannot allow an uncircumcised person to be his spokesman. Did you hear me? God cannot allow an uncircumcised person, a person that will not crucify their flesh, a person that will not set sin away from them, a person that will not obey the laws of God, God cannot use them as a spokesperson. So God was bringing correction to Moses and so he's facing Moses face to face and he said because you have because you will not do this it's going to cost you your life check out what his once was a pagan wife who's now serving with Moses then Zephora took a sharp stone she took a sharp stone And cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. So God left. And she said, Sephora, she's a woman to be reckoned with. She looked at him and said, A bloody husband thou art because of circumcision. In other words, she said, You're going to leave me a widow? With children, because you won't do something as simple as circumcise the flesh? You're going to leave out of here prematurely because you won't put your flesh down. You're going to leave out of here and abandon your family because you won't put your flesh down. She was mad. She was mad. I mean, she just had it. Y'all got a few minutes? I want to show you just a couple, just one more thing. I mean, she was, woo, she was mad. Go to Exodus chapter 12. I know we're over, but come on. It's quiet in this house tonight. All right. Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. 12, 43. 
Do you know that Jesus is the, is the Passover lamb? Jesus is the Passover lamb, right? What does that mean? Jesus was the sacrificed lamb for all of our sins. So here this is. We're in Exodus. They just get out of, they, they cross out of, they cross out of Egypt and God lays down this ordinance or this law. Verse 43, and it says, The Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of Passover. In other words, this is, this is the law of Passover. This is, and this is a spiritual law. This is a spiritual law. And he said, There shall no stranger eat thereof. Nobody can take part. If anybody outside of God cannot take part of the lamb. Nobody can take part of the lamb. But every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. So once you, in order for you to be able to partake of the Passover lamb, in order for you to be able to take part of what Jesus obtained for you, you first must be either Jew by birth or you have to be bought by the blood of Christ. And then you must be circumcised. Now, this is Old Testament. They're talking physical. New Testament, I'm going to show you, is actually circumcision of the heart. Let me just read a little bit more. But every man's servant that is bought, when he has circumcised him, he shall eat thereof. A foreigner and a hired servant shall not eat thereof. In the house it shall be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth out, of, out the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall you break the bone of it. Now that's talking about the actual crucifixion of Christ later on. He was telling them, he's telling them how to physically prepare the lamb. Uh, and that's a type and shadow of how Jesus' body was prepared. And it says, but look at verse four. Look at verse forty-seven, forty-eight. It says, "All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. All the congregation of Israel, those born in and those bought in, are to keep this ordinance. And when the stranger shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let them come near and keep it." And he shall be as one that is born in the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. If you will not partake in circumcision, you do not get to partake in the lamb. If you will not circumcise your flesh, if you will not bring your flesh, if you will not cut the worldly things, if you will not cut sin, out of your life, you will not be able to partake in what Jesus obtained for you. That's the principle here. Now, we don't eat lamb. We, we, don't, we don't still crucify the lambs and all that. We understand that that, that that was passed away from Old Testament to New Testament, but the principle still applies. If you do not take part in, crucif in, in circumcision, if you do not take part in circumcision, if you do not cut out the things of the flesh, 
then you will not be able to take part in the fullness of the Lamb. and You will not be able to take part in the Lamb. One more scripture. Deuteronomy 10. Deuteronomy 10. Well, do we go from physical circumcision to heart circumcision only in the New Testament? No, we did not. Deuteronomy chapter 10. He's still dealing with the same Israelites. Chapter 10. Verse 16. Uh, he said, this, is, this, was, this was the direction from the Lord. He said, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no more, what? Stiff-necked. In other words, circumcision of the heart is not saying, I want to do it my way and God will bless me. Circumcision of the heart is saying, not my way, Lord, but your way. Circumcision of the heart is, a, is an Old Testament thing. Remember, remember the Israelites, the, the generation of Israelites that were delivered out of Egypt. Remember, they died in the desert because they were stiff-necked. Because they would not circumcise their heart. Because they would not get murmuring and complaining and the worship of idols and all of their behaviors. Because they would not change. They died in the wilderness. They did not enter into what the Lamb had obtained for them. And the same is true. The sister verse to this is Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Deuteronomy verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 6. And I'm going to end on this verse. It's the sister verse. He said, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart. This is a type and shadow of what was coming. And the heart of the seed, talking about down the generations, uh, to, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. That's your thoughts. Listen, listen. With all thy soul um, that thou mayest live. We looked at this word heart and soul not that long ago, and we figured out that heart and soul is interchangeable between your thoughts, feelings, and emotions and your spirit. Your spirit does not need to be circumcised. Your spirit, the real part of you that lives forever, doesn't need to be circumcised because it already is because it's already in love with God. It has no desire to do anything of the flesh. So when he says to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul, it means love God with all your feelings, with all your emotions, with all your thoughts, with all your behaviors, with everything in this physical body, bring it into the subjection of circumcision. Cut out those things that are intimately personal to you, but yet separates you from God. Cut out those. Cut out sex outside of marriage. Cut out pornography. Cut out... Uh, Things that inhibit the mind. 
Cut out addictions. Cut out profanities. Cut out lying. Cut out the sins that separate you. Stop being stiff-necked and making excuses for the flesh. Because if you continue to make excuses for the flesh, you cannot partake in the lamb. Now, that seems a little heavy and it seems a little weighted. But how much, you know, you have to understand the importance of circumcision to understand when Paul says, now be circumcised in the heart. When, when Paul begins to talk about the circumcision of the heart, don't you know that that'll, that'll, going to change how you see that, those scriptures a little bit? It's going to change how you see it. When he talks about crucify your mortal flesh, crucify your members, uh, what, what members? Your eyeballs. Uh, crucify. Ooh, oh, Holy Ghost. Crucify what your ears hear. Some of y'all look at me like, what are you talking about? Crucify what you put in your ears. Stop listening to Satan's music. Oh, it ain't Satan's music. It just makes me feel good. No. It, it builds up the flesh. Most of the stuff y'all listen to uh, bring depression, bring anxiety, bring fear, bring anger, bring rebellion. Now, this is by the Holy Ghost. Crucify what goes in. Stake your ears. Stake your eyes to the cross of Christ. Don't make excuses for it. Well, it's, it's, it's R-rated, but it's okay. It's all make-believe. No. Brother Randy brought out that demons travel on light rays. If they travel on light rays, guess what? They travel on sound rays, too. Come on. I'm not trying to be mean. And here's the deal. God's not, and God is not a hard taskmaster, and God is not trying to take away. Woo, God is not trying to take away all your fun. God is trying to get you to get the demons out of your life. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get you to get the demons out of your life. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you that we have a greater and a deeper understanding of circumcision, that we have a greater and a deeper understanding of uh, circumcision and uh, crucifixion. Father, we thank you, Father God. Now, everybody's looking at me kind of sad, down, and depressed, but I tell you what, when you get a hold of this, listen, when you get a hold of this, you will begin to shout, and you will begin to run, and you will begin to shout, to, to, to jump, because as you get these things out of your life, the work of Christ will begin to flow. Here's your homework assignment. I know you already put your pens away. Here's your homework assignment. Go read Deuteronomy, no, Leviticus. Go read Leviticus chapter 26. Write it down. Go read Leviticus 26. It's the sister chapter to Deuteronomy 28, but it'll put a whole new light on it. Go read Leviticus 26. That's your homework assignment. Yes, it is part of the law. But this, this particular chapter, it's not going to make your head hurt, but it's going to stomp all over your toes. But it's going to be for a good thing. Go read Leviticus chapter 26. Well, Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Derek, if you'll come. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we know we ran over, but, man, we have to understand circumcision. 
We have to understand it. And, Father, now we have a greater understanding. Father, now we have a greater understanding of covenant. Father, now we know. Oh, Father God, we thank you. Now, Father, as we sow seed, as we sow our tithes and our offerings, Father, we just ask that you, oh, Father God, we take our authority, our covenant authority over Satan, and we command Satan to stop and hit and desist in your nasty tactics against us. You stop, you stop hindering our exceedingly great reward. You release it and let it go in Jesus' mighty name. And angels, Go according to the word and cause our exceedingly great reward to come in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we thank you that your word is true. Your word is working. And we thank you for great increase in every area. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, Father, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Boy, I tell you what. You begin to understand. Now, when we start, we're, next week we're going to hit Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to start a running. And you're going to be shocked and amazed. Now that you understand circumcision and, and, uh, and, and um, crucifixion, now that you understand what those two things are, and you understand the importance of it, and you understand the connection to covenant and your covenant promises, when, you, when we begin to read GEPC, it's going to take on a whole new light. We are dismissed. Y'all have a wonderful...